Before we start with our second topic tonight, I would just like to make two remarks. First of all, I have to apologize because of the many mistakes uh, I'm making in English this afternoon. I don't know what has happened, but I have really some difficulties in finding the right words, so please excuse. Second remark, we have been considering Christian marriage. And if we compare what we find in the Word of God with what is mainstream in our modern societies, we will of course find a very great uh, divergence, a great opposition. Uh, this should be clear to us as Christians. The teaching of the Bible is totally contrary to what modern scientists teach. And I would just like to read one well-known verse in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Paul says, And be not conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This good and acceptable and perfect will of God has also to do with the teaching about the Christian marriage. Let be not conformed to this world. There is a mainstream in this world that teaches things totally different. But the question is, which mainstream would we like to follow? The mainstream of our modern societies, with teaching about gender mainstreaming and all these kind of things, or the good instructions that we find in the Word, in the word of God. There will be a contradiction of course, there will be some strife, there will be some trouble, but we have to accept this. We want to follow what the Lord Jesus tells us about marriage, what God tells us about marriage, and we do not want to follow what modern scientists teach. Now, in the first address, we have been thinking about Christian marriage. Now we want to think about the Christian family, parents, and children. And we have seen that both marriage and family are wonderful gifts of God. And if we think of our children, they are not only a gift of God, but they are even called a gift of grace. And I will start by reading one verse in Genesis, chapter 33. Yes, in Genesis 33, Jacob is coming back home and he has an encounter with his brother Esau. And Esau asked the question in verse 5, Who are these with thee? And then Jacob gave a wonderful answer and he said, The children that God has graciously given thy servant. Children are a gift of God. They are a gift of grace. And again, there are these two sides of the coin. On the one hand, that is a great, great blessing. 
I think all of us who have good children, they know it is a great blessing. But on the other hand, we realize very well that it is a great responsibility to raise children. It is a great and it is a daily challenge to raise children. It is not easy. And I know this from experience. God, in His grace, has given us five children. They are all married now and 16 grandchildren. That is a great, great blessing, for sure. But I, remember, I very well remember the days, the weeks, the months, the years, when it was really a great challenge to bring up the children. And we all know, and I know, about the many mistakes that we have made, that I have made. And if we are talking about bringing up children uh, tonight, I don't do that because I am a good example. Actually, I am not. I have made many mistakes. And if at the end of the day all the children follow the Lord Jesus Christ, this is nothing else but grace. I would like to underline this. Children are a gift of God. They are a grace. They are a great blessing. Now, if there are couples maybe who do not have children, does that mean that God is not blessing them? Not at all. We are all different. And God gives us different challenges, different charges, different blessings. If He gives us children, we accept them as a gift of God, as a great blessing. If He does not, He has His, his concept, He has His plan behind that. We don't know, we don't understand sometimes. It's difficult for many couples who do not have children. And those who have children... Let us, not for, let us not forget, it is not easy for couples who do not have children, who are childless. I once got in contact with a couple, they were not having children. And we talked about the problem, and then the wife says, well, you know, we are, in the beginning, we thought we are childless, but now We are no longer childless, we are child-free. And I asked, what is the difference? Well, the lady said, the sister said, well, to be childless is a hard thing. To be child-free gives us possibility to work for the Lord and to use the free time we have to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was a great lesson also for me. Now I would like to return to Mark chapter 10. We have already read these verses. Very briefly, the Lord Jesus Christ was in contact with little children. Mark 10 verse 13, I reread the verses. And they brought little children to him that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those that brought them. But Jesus, seeing it, was indignant and said to them, Suffer the little children To come to me, forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. And having taken them in his arms, having laid his hands on them, he blessed them. There is one great teaching in these few verses. We don't want to enter into the details, but there is one great lesson in these uh, few verses. And the great lesson is the Lord Jesus Christ loves children. 
Let us never forget this. The Lord Jesus loves our children. If God has given your children, or if He will give your children, don't forget they are an object of divine love. The Lord Jesus Christ loves children. He took them in His arms. They heard His heart beating. He loves them. And He wants them to know that He loves them. Dear children, there is one who loves you more than your parents, more than your mother, more than your dad. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. He will take you in His arms. And that is a great encouragement for us parents. Sometimes we fail. We do not love our children as we should love them. But there is one who loves them without failing. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. He took them in His arms. He laid His hands on them. That speaks of protection. There is one who is able to protect our children. We are living in a dangerous world. We have been speaking about the mainstream, about our modern societies. But there is one who is able and willing to protect our children, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He laid His hands on them. We as parents, as grandparents, of course, we try to protect our children as much as possible, but we know that we fail. But the Lord Jesus Christ never fails. He will and He can protect our children. And He blessed them. To bless somebody means to speak good about somebody. To wish somebody all the best. And that is what the Lord Jesus wants. He wants the best for our children. Now there were those who brought little children to Him that He might touch them. You see, he might touch them. Not talk to them, but touch them. Communication by touch. By the way, who brought the children to the Lord Jesus? What do you think? Normally, the answer is the mothers. When I travel in Africa, you can ask those who are listening, and they, they will give an answer. So when I ask in Africa, who brought the children to the Lord Jesus? Everybody cries, the mothers. But what does Scripture say? What do we read in the Bible? The Bible does not say that the mothers brought the children. It simply says they brought little children to Him. I'm sure there were mothers present, present, but not only mothers, also fathers. Maybe also grandfathers as I, or grandmothers as you. They brought little children to Him. That is, by the way, the great objective when God has given us children and also grandchildren. That is the great objective that they come to the Lord Jesus Christ. That He says Himself, let them come to Me. Don't hinder them to come. Sometimes we are the hindrance for our children, the obstacle for our children to accept the Lord Jesus Christ. But He says, let them come. He wants to have them. That is the great objective of bringing up, of raising children, that they come to the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean to come to the Lord Jesus Christ? That has a twofold meaning. First of all, that our children should accept Him as their Savior. That is the first thing. But secondly, that they should accept Him as their Lord, whom they follow and whom they serve. Let us not forget, that is the main target, the main objective. Let the little children come to me. That they accept him as their personal savior who died for him and that they accept him 
as their Lord whom they want to follow. Dear children, you are here this afternoon. I already said, I'm very happy to see you. Do you know that the Lord Jesus is your personal Savior? Do you know that he died for you on Calvary's cross? That is the most important thing, to know that. And your parents, they will teach you to accept him, the Lord Jesus Christ, the friend of children, to accept him as your personal Savior. Let the little children come to me. Now, there is teaching in the New Testament about parents and children. And again, there are lots of examples in the Bible. We would now, first of all, like to quote one section in the New Testament that speaks about parents and children. And then we would just like to have a look at one example in the Old Testament. We turn to Ephesians chapter 5. The same chapter that speaks about wives and husbands speaks about children and fathers. Ephesians chapter 6, children, no, the children, the children should listen. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is just. Honor your father and your mother which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you, that you may be long-lived on the earth. And you, fathers or parents, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. That is a passage in which the children are directly addressed. Imagine we were in the assembly of the Ephesians. They got this letter. This letter was read in a meeting. A difficult letter. Not easy to understand. Chapter 5. Husbands. Wives. But all of a sudden it becomes very easy. Children. The Apostle Paul addresses directly to the children. Obviously He knew that the children were present. Otherwise, he wouldn't have written children. He addresses himself directly to the children. And what he, does he say? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is just. Now, if it says here children, it means little children, children who are still at home, who are still under the umbrella of their parents. And they should obey their parents in the Lord. Theoretically, this is a very easy matter, isn't it? It's not difficult to understand, but it is difficult to practice. Now, we all have been children. Those who are adults now, we have been children. And maybe we do remember very well that it was not at all easy to obey our parents. We had our own way. We had our own thinking, we had our own prospects, and we wanted to do it our way and not to obey our parents. We are sinners by nature. We have the old nature in us, and the old nature is always in opposition to the will of somebody else. So it is just 
normal that children do not like to obey their parents. But yet, the Word of God says, children, obey your parents. Do what your parents tell you. Sometimes you will not understand why they say something, why they want something or they don't want something. Sometimes you will understand. The older you are, the better you understand. But sometimes you will not understand. That is not the point. The point is to obey. Children, obey your parents. By the way, this has nothing to do with our subject here, but obedience is something that is required the whole life long. And it is not easy, even for us as adults. Sometimes we have to obey. We have to obey to the rules. We have to obey to our boss. We have to obey to many other people, but it's, it's not easy. We don't want to obey. We are always in rebellion. We do not want to obey, yet the Bible says obey. And particularly here, children, obey your parents. Then in verse 2 it says, Honor thy, your father and your mother. Now this is of course also addressed to the children, but it is given us in a more general way. Honor your father and your mother. To honor somebody is something else than to obey. To obey means do what somebody else tells you. But to honor somebody means to respect him in the position God has given him. We as husbands should honor our wives. 1 Peter 3. We have to accept them in the position as a helpmate God gave us. Wives should honor their husbands. They should respect the husband as the one who is the head of the marriage. And here it says, honor your father and your mother. That is not only addressed to the little children, but that is an encouragement for all of us. We all have had parents. And I think most of us know our parents. Sometimes there are children who don't know their parents because they passed away when the children were very young or by other circumstances, but normally we know our parents or we have known them. And as long as we live, we have to honor our parents. Not only as long as they live, but as long as we live. I can even honor my parents when they are no longer alive, when they have passed away. Honor your parents. Respect them as your parents. That is a general guideline the Word of God is given us here. You see, the very moment we get married, we are no longer under the umbrella of our parents. We have seen we are an independent unity. And when we are an independent unity, we do not have to obey our parents. Obedience, at least to a certain extent, comes to an end when we are adults and and are an independent unity, when the moment we have left father and mother. But to honor our parents, 
that is a lifetime, I would say, privilege. It is a lifetime privilege. It should be our desire. It should be our pleasure to honor our parents as long as we live. How can we honor our parents? We can speak well of them. We can help them. We can visit them. We can keep up a good relationship. Of course, the relationship of marriage is closer than the relationship of grown-up children and their parents, but yet they remain our parents, and it says here, honor your parents. And I repeat, as long as we live, we should honor our parents, keep a good relationship, give them help, give them assistance when they are older, give them a telephone call, maybe they are living somewhere uh, far away. Here, your parents in Switzerland, you can't visit them, visit them regularly, but you can give them a phone call, or WhatsApp, or email exchange, whatever. Keep in touch with your parents, keep up a good relationship. And of course, that is a challenge for both. It is a challenge for parents to let their children go. Uh, a man shall leave his father and his mother, so we have to, to let them go. That is not easy. I know it by experience. You have to, to cut the umbilical cord. That's, sometimes it's not easy, but it's also a responsibility for the children to keep up a good relationship, to accept advice, to accept help. So that is a mutual thing. Then it says in verse 4, And ye fathers, you fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. We've already seen the example of Amram and Jochebeth, that the responsibility is laid on the father. And therefore here the Apostle Paul addresses the fathers. You fathers do not provoke your children, but bring them up. But of course, that is not only the responsibility, the task of the fathers, but also of the mothers. So we could also read, parents, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. There are two things said to the children, obey and honor, and two things said to the parents. Do not provoke them to anger. Do not be a hindrance for your children. That is a negative thing, but we should not do. We should not provoke them to anger, and we know how easily this happens, that we as parents make mistakes and our children get angry because of our mistakes, but then bring them up in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. To bring them up, to raise our children, that is the great target, that is a challenge, that is a responsibility. And there are two things that are mentioned. First of all, discipline, and secondly, admonition. What is the difference between discipline and admonition? I would put it this way. Discipline is in a certain sense something negative, but necessary. Whereas admonition is something positive. Discipline means that we mark things 
that are not according to the will of God, that we mark things that are wrong, and that we stop them. If our, if our children are doing something that is not good, that is wrong, that is sinful, we have to tell them, we have to mark it, and we have to try to stop it. That is discipline, in a certain sense negative. Admonition is positive. It means give them instruction, give them encouragement, show them the good way. And our children, they need both. They need discipline. Sometimes they need to be stopped when they do something that is wrong, when they are on the wrong track. We need to stop them. But at the same time, they need encouragement. We need to show them the good way. And these two things, discipline and admonition, should be well balanced. You cannot bring up a child by, all, by only telling him what he should not do. That is impossible. The child will soon be frustrated if you only stop him all the time when he does something wrong. But at the same time, you cannot bring up the child by only motivating the child, by only, only telling him what he should do. Both things, discipline and admonition, I repeat, have to be well balanced. Now, let us have a look to an example in the Old Testament. And I would like to draw your attention to a very well-known chapter in the book of Genesis. And that is Genesis chapter 22. And maybe you are astonished now. What has Genesis 22 to do with a Christian family, with raising children, with bringing up children? Normally, when we read Genesis 22, we think about the typological meaning and signification. We think about God the Father giving his son, offering him on the cross of Calvary. And of course, that is the first meaning of Genesis chapter 22. God the Father and the unspeakable gift, the Lord Jesus Christ, the two of them going together to Moriah and Isaac to be offered there. That speaks, of course, of the offering of Christ on the cross. That is the first meaning, the prophetic meaning. Secondly, we can read Genesis 20, chapter 22 in a very practical way. Here we have a man of faith who does the will of God at any cost. But thirdly, and now we want to apply this to our topic that is before us. Thirdly, we have a father and a son. There is Abraham, a father, and there is Isaac, a son. The two of them going together. They, the two of them achieving something. And I would like to apply Genesis 22 now to the relationship between parents and children. We can also apply it to older believers and younger believers, or grandfathers, grandmothers, and grandchildren. But the first application, practical application, is a father, a mother, parents, 
and their children. Now let's read that chapter, at least a part of it. Genesis chapter 22. And it came to pass after these things that God tried Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest, Isaac, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and there offer him up for a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you of. And Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, And he cleaved the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went to the place that God had told him of. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And Abraham said to his young man, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, And he took the fire in his hand and the knife, and they both of them went together. And Isaac spoke to Abram, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the sheep for a burnt offering? And Abram said, My son, God will provide himself with a sheep for a burnt offering. And they went both of them together. And they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abram built the altar there and piled the wood. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abram stretched out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. And then we read verse 19. And Abraham returned to his young men and they rose up and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Abraham, a father, and Isaac, a son. And there is, as we will see, a very rich instruction in this Old Testament example that we have before us. And I would, like just, I would just like to mention some, some bullet points without going into too many details. The first lesson that we can take out of this chapter is that Abraham was a good example for his son. Abraham was a man of faith. And in this chapter, Abraham is seen really as a hero of faith. What a trial for Abraham. And the man of faith got the victory. And Isaac, Isaac saw that. He saw the faith of his father. What a wonderful example of faith. Secondly, Abraham was an example in his obedience. We've been thinking about the obedience of children. Here we have a father who was obedient. And how obedient he was. Imagine God told him, hey, Abraham, give me your son. Offer him as a burnt offering. The only son you have. The promised heir. Give him. I want to have him. 
kill him. How would we how, how would have we reacted? Here are fathers and mothers with our children. What 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 would what would we have said? Abraham did what God told him. Obedience. Abraham was a wonderful example in his I would say perfect obedience. A wonderful example. Commitment. Abraham was a wonderful example in his commitment. The angel said in verse 19, in verse 12, Now I know that thou fearest God and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Commitment. Who was the number one in Abraham's life? It was God. It was not Isaac. He loved his son. Yes, he loved him with a great love. But the number one for Abraham was God. By the way, who is the number two in our life? Our children? No, our married partner. You remember the Hebrew servant in Exodus chapter 21. What does he say? I love my master. That is God. I love my wife. I love my children. There is a certain, a certain order. First, we love God. Second, we love our married partner, our husband or our wife. Thirdly, we love our children. Abraham was a good example. An example in faith, in obedience, in commitment or dedication. Dear parents, what about us? We are always an example for our children. The question is, is it a good example or is it a bad example? Is it an example to follow or is it an example not to follow. I repeat, we are always an example. Children look at us and they follow. What do they follow, by the way? Do they follow our words or our deeds? Our words or our behavior? I can tell you, they will follow our behavior. They follow the example we set, not the words we speak. It is important that we instruct our children. It is important that we speak to our children, admonishing, disciplining. That has to do also that has also to do with our words. Of course, of course, we have to talk to our children. But if our deeds, if our activities, if our ways show something else than our words tell them, they will not follow our words. They will follow our deeds. Let us never forget this. Abraham, a good example. That is my first bullet point. Secondly, we read that God says, take your son, your only son, the one whom you lovest, Isaac. Abraham, Abraham loved his son. 
And it's, it's, it's God who gives this testimony. It is not Abraham who says, I love my son, but it, it is God who says, Abraham, that is the son that you love. And it is wonderful to have this relationship of love, this atmosphere of love between parents and children. That is, as I have already said in the first address, the first time love is mentioned in the Bible. And it is mentioned for the first time here in order to show us the wonderful relationship of, of love between the Lord Jesus Christ and his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus, of course. But we want to apply this now to our families. Yes, I have said, number one is the love to God. Number two is the love to our married partner. But then God has given us children. And it is just as normal as to be that we love our children. They are, as we have seen, the object of divine love. The Lord Jesus loves our children, but we as parents, we should love our children. And it is our responsibility, dear parents, to create an atmosphere of love in our houses. I know that our dear children do not always behave in a way that it is a pleasure to love them. Still, we should love them. Don't forget, how often do we behave in a way that is not pleasing our Heavenly Father? But is His love to us depending on our behavior? He loves us, and we know that He loves us. And we rejoice in that knowledge that our Heavenly Father loves us. And as He loves us, we should love our children. Of course, when they do not behave in a good way, we should try to admonish and to discipline them. But that has nothing to do with our love. We do not, only, we do not love only the children who well behave, but we also love the other ones. Imagine the father in Luke 15. We call him the, the prodigal son. The father, did he love his son? The son who went away? Yes, he did. He was waiting for him every day. He was looking for him. When will he come back? That was love. He saw him far off. That was love. Love that looked for the son to come back. Create an atmosphere of love. Now, what does it mean to love our children? Sometimes you get parents who give their children everything that they want. And then they tell it, they call it love. Is that love to give a child everything a child wants to have? For sure not. It, maybe it looks like love, but it is not love. Again, take the example of our Heavenly Father. He loves us. And we, as his children, we have a lot of desires, a lot of things that we would like to have. Does our Heavenly Father give us everything that we want to have? Fortunately, he does not. If he did, it wouldn't be good, because we have a lot of desires that are nonsense, that are a damage, that are not for our good. No, to love a child means to give the child the things that are necessary and needful 
that help our children. This is love. Yes, love has to do with sacrifice. You cannot love somebody without the availability to give sacrifices. We know God gave the greatest sacrifice, his only begotten son. We as parents, if we love our children, we have to sacrifice something. What do we have to sacrifice? Time. That is a great sacrifice. Bringing up children that costs a lot of time. Maybe that is the most important thing. Time is something we don't have. Who has got enough time? Nobody. Time, time, time. We are always crying about time. But our children need our time. And it's love if we give time to our children. Give interest to your children. Yes, children cost a lot of money. You can calculate how much a child costs in Australian dollars. That's quite a big amount. But that is not the main point. Love your children. Be ready to give a sacrifice for your child. Give your child what is necessary, what is good, what is needful, what is helpful for your child. Second bullet point. Create an atmosphere of love. By the way, what is the contrary of love? Is it hatred? Yes, it is. But not only. Not only. Who would say, I hate my child? Who would say, I hate my wife? Hmm. Not really. But there is another contrast to hate, uh, to love. And that is indifference. I don't care. I am egoistic. To have a spirit that is that likes to give sacrifices and egoism that will never work together. So let us love our children. Let us not be indifferent. Let us not be egoistic. But let us really love our children as our Heavenly Father loves us. A third point I would like to mention is there was an atmosphere of confidence in the relationship between Abraham and Isaac. Imagine this young man, Isaac. He was not a, a little child. He was a, a young man. We don't know how old he was, but he wasn't five or six or eight years old. He was, he was older. Now imagine, they went to that mountain to Moriah. Isaac asked, his dad, what about the sacrifice? And Abraham gave that answer. God will have a look for that. Don't worry, my son. And all of a sudden, he was bound. Isaac was bound. And he was laid upon the altar. What was his father doing? If I had been Isaac, I would have cried. Hey, dad, what are you doing? Don't do that. I don't want to, you to do that. I don't want to be killed. I don't want to die. <laughs> Yet Isaac seemed to have had a wonderful confidence in what his father did. There was a, really an atmosphere of confidence between father and son. And dear parents, that again is a great, great encouragement for us. Let there be an atmosphere of confidence. Sometimes 
we as parents do things that our children will not understand. Yet, they follow us if they have confidence, if they trust us. And Isaac trusted his father. Now you see, obedience and confidence are two things that are quite different. Both are necessary. Obedience can be required. We can tell our children, you have to be obedient. We can do that. But we can never tell our children, you have to have confidence in me. You cannot require confidence. On the contrary, you have to acquire confidence. And that is a big difference. You can require obedience, but you have to acquire confidence. How? Confidence is destroyed if our activities, our actions and our words do not fit. If there is a ongoing contradiction be between what we say and what we do. Of course, we as parents, we are not perfect. Sometimes we say things and we don't do them. But if this goes on and we continuously tell our, our children things that we don't do ourselves, we don't create an atmosphere of confidence. It is important that words and acts and deeds and teaching that there is a fitting that, that really fits well together. Create an atmosphere of confidence. The fourth point I would like to mention here is that Abraham had a clear target in mind. God had told him to go to Moriah and to offer his son. That was a clear target and Abraham followed that target. And he followed that target immediately and straight away without a lot of detours. He went directly to do what God has, had told him. He had a clear target in mind. The target was to go to Moriah and to offer his son. But what did he tell him? Or what, what did he tell to the young boys, to the two lads that were with him, the two servants? He said, abide you here with the ass and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Abram knew that God was able to raise Isaac from among the dead. So he said, we will go, we will worship, and we will come back. Let us take this and apply it practically to us. We go, we worship, we come back. What is our target when we think about our children? Very often you meet parents who say, well, God has given me children and I have one great desire and the great desire is that my children should live a better life than I have lived. Have lived. That is a target. It's not bad. It's not bad that our children live a good life. 
but that is not the main thing. It is, not, it is nothing wrong to make a certain career here, to have a good job, a good profession, to earn some money. That is not wrong. But is that the most important point in the life of our children? Is that the target that we have in mind? Is that the target for us? Career, 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 money, 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 influence, 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 position, position, position. That is again the world. I repeat, it is, in print, principally, it, there is nothing wrong about that. But the, if this is our main objective, then something is wrong. Our main objective should be to worship God, to be at His disposal. And this is also the main target when it comes to our children. We should bring them up that they might serve the Lord, that they might become <coughs> worshippers. The Father is looking for worshippers. And that is maybe the main objective with our children. I repeat, they have to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, as their Lord, and then to live as Abraham lived, in dedication, in commitment to God. There is a fourth point, in a fifth point, sorry. In verse 6 we read, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand, so in Abraham's hand, and the knife, and they went both of them together. The wood was laid on Isaac. He had to carry the wood. That was heavy. But he had to carry it. But the knife and the fire was in the hand of the father. He did not give the knife to Abraham, nor did he give the, uh, to Isaac, thank you, nor did he give the fire to Isaac. He took knife and fire, but the wood was given to Isaac. There is a lesson in it for us, dear parents. It is good to charge our children, but it is not good to overcharge them. Yes, we have to charge them. We have to challenge them. We cannot make them life as easy as possible and take everything on our shoulders. No, we have to charge them. But please, let us not overcharge our children. That would be dangerous. Of course, that depends on the character of the child. How much can we put on their shoulders? That depends on the character. And of course, it depends on the age of the child. You can put a larger, a higher charge on a 15 years old boy than on a five years old boy, of course. But according to character and age of our children, we should charge them with a certain load. And the older they grow, the more we can put on them. But please, let us not overcharge them. I know quite some parents, they do not charge their children at all. They spoil them all the time, all the time, they pamper them, everything they want to have they get, every problem is taken away. 
They do not charge them at all. That is not good. But I do also know parents who overcharge their children, who put too much load on them. So we need to be well balanced, as Abraham was well balanced. The next point, number seven, it is said in verse six, they went both of them together. It is repeated in verse eight, they went both of them together. And by the way, it is repeated a third time in verse 19, they went together to Beersheba. Three times in this chapter it is said that Abraham and Isaac went together. Of course, we think about the pathway of the Lord Jesus Christ in full fellowship with his heavenly Father until that awful cross of Calvary and then back in resurrection. But again, there is a direct application that we can make. And it is a very easy one. It is ever so necessary that we have common ways with our children, that we have common interests, that we have common activities. I would like to encourage us as parents and grandparents, do something together with your children. Go together here and there. Have activities, common activities. Again, depending on the character of your child, depending on the age of your child. You see, I've got a lot of grandchildren. I've one, he's three years old. When he comes, I cannot play chess with him. He's not able to do that. But when the, uh, the elder one, he's 12 years old, comes, he said, Grandfather, would you like to play chess with me? Okay, I would like to read a book or prepare an address. But he comes and says, hey, have you got some time for me? Play a chess Okay. Sometimes I say, no, sorry, it's not possible. But if possible, I try to do that. So, so depending, again, on character and age, do something together. Fathers, play soccer with your children, or football, or cricket, whatever you play in Australia. You know, we Germans, we only know soccer. You know other sports. Do something together. Common activities, common ways. Father and children, mother and children, parents and children. That is a wonderful thing. They went both together. Do something together. Spend some time. Again, yes, that costs time. But it is a well-invested time. It will pay at the end of the day if we spend time, if we invest time to use this expression. My eighth point, they did not only go together, they talked together. Is that too simple? No, it is not. They went together and all of a sudden Isaac asked a question. It was a difficult question, a very difficult, a very difficult question. Abraham gave an answer. They talked. They did not talk very much, but they talked together. Dear parents, it is ever so important 
that we talk with our children. We have been thinking about the importance of communication in our marriages. And we have said that dying communication is the creeping death of a good marriage. But the same is valid for our families. If we stop talking with our children, we risk to lose them. And I know, it is, sometimes it is not easy to talk to the children. When they are small, they have a lot of questions. Sometimes annoying questions. Sometimes silly questions, as we think. And they repeat their questions time after time. I know by experience, it's not easy to always give an answer. And of course, everything has an end, of, that's true. But generally speaking, let us answer the questions of our children. If we don't give answers to the questions of our children, they will find the answers somewhere else. And this is valid, particularly when they grow older. When they start to be in the complicated years, 13, 14, 15, the teenagers, you know. The teenage times begin when the parents become particular, huh? you know. Not the children, the parents, in their eyes, of course. It is not easy to deal with children in their teenage years. I see a lot of little children here, but I'm sure there are also others. And one day they will be in their teenage years. That is a tough time, a very tough time. And it takes a lot of time to talk to our teenagers. And that is not an easy thing. And again, it costs a lot of time. But it is the best invested time. Please, ask, uh, uh, give answers to the questions of your children. They have a lot of questions. Well, I know there are children, they don't ask a lot. They are rather closed, they don't talk a lot. What shall we do with those children? Sometimes it is good to provoke them a little bit. If they don't ask, then you can ask. You can start a discussion with your child, 14 years old, 16 years old. You can start the discussion by asking some questions. And then you will get answers. And yet then you will see what is in the mind of your child. What, what is he occupied with? Where are his problems? Where are his questions? It is so important, really, that we are next to our children, that we know where they have problems, where they have troubles, where they have questions. And let us answer to the questions of our children. Give answers to the questions of our children. Communication, very important point. The ninth point, I have ten, so we are nearly finished. The ninth point is, again, something for the children. And I repeat what we have read in Ephesians. Children, 
obey to your parents, obey your parents. Here you get a wonderful example. Here you get a living example, Isaac. They came to Moriah, to the place which God had told him. Abraham built the altar there, he piled the wood, and all of a sudden he took his son, he bound him, he laid him on the altar, and he stretched out his hand, he took the knife in order to kill his son. And Isaac, and Isaac, not a single word, nothing, no reaction, no objection. He just let his father do what he did. He was obedient. Of course, again, we think of the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ when the judgment of God came upon him on Calvary's cross. And he did not object. But again, this is a very practical matter also. Isaac, a good example of a child, an older child, maybe a teenager, I think so, who obeyed his father. Although, although I'm sure he had not understood what his father was doing. But he did not object. He was obedient. A wonderful example. And then the last point, this is also a repetition of what we have already said in verse 18. Abraham returned to his young man and they rose up and went together to Beersheba. And then we read, Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. That is interesting. They returned together, but he, Abraham, dwelt at Beersheba. What about Isaac? Where was Isaac? Chapter 24 tells us that he found a wife. Rebecca, we have thought about that. What is the practical lesson? The moment had come when Abraham discharged or released his son into his own independence. He became an adult. He became somebody who was responsible before God. So Abraham dwelt in Beersheba, but he let Isaac go. To release children, I repeat, is not an easy thing. But to release children, and I would also like to repeat, repeat this, does not mean that the relationship between parents and children is totally cut. It is changing, but it is not ending. Our children remain our children as long as we live. Our parents remain our parents as long as we live. Yes, we should honor them. We have read that in Ephesians 6. Honor your father and your mother. And in chapter 24 we see that Isaac, although an adult, a man who was going to marry, still honored his father. He did what his father had in mind to do. He honored his father. Honor your father and your mother. Just very briefly to repeat, we have seen here in this example of Abraham and Isaac, 
10 points. The first was set a good example, example here in obedience, in faith and in commitment. The second point was create an atmosphere of love and not of egoism and indifference. Third point, create an atmosphere of confidence which has to be acquired, you cannot require it. Have a clear target in mind, that was the fourth point. The fifth point, challenge your children but don't challenge them too much, don't overcharge them. Have common ways, be together with your children, common activities. We have seen the importance of communication. We have seen the importance of obedience and we have seen that the moment will come when we have to discharge them. Once again, it's a great blessing to have children. It's a great blessing to raise them up to the glory and honor of the Lord Jesus Christ. But at the same time, that is a great challenge. And we will never be able to do that on our own. We need the help of our Heavenly Father. Unfortunately, we have this help. It's my prayer that the Lord Jesus bless you, blesses you, your families, your children. It has been really an encouragement for me to be here with you today. And God willing, we will see us again tomorrow.